Thank you. Kia ora e te whanau. Bring you greetings from uh, your church family just down the road in Timaru. Um, as Dre said, we've been there for 10 years um, until like two, three weeks ago, and we're in this like weird transition space where um, we're going to move up to Christchurch soon for uh, my work at Laylor College. I'm a lecturer there in practical theology. Shout out to my students here today. Nice to see you. Um, and we're moving into that next space, a little bit of an unknown space for what the next uh, step of ministry looks like. But it's, it's exciting to be in the will of God. And um, I don't need to be in control, which is a great revelation for me. So I really appreciated that uh, this morning. Uh, so I've got uh, four girls. My youngest is four and my eldest is 13. And they are all around at a couple of different churches this morning and um, they are really excited about the next step for us but yeah lots of transition going on trying to sell a lifestyle block and appreciate your prayers as we do that and then try and find a place that fits with three different schools and school zones which is plus a preschool almost forgot to enroll that one but got there in the end so my title for my sermon today is do it your way and maybe the uh what that means might shift over the course of the, uh, the message. So I was quite a stubborn child. I'm going to own that. And it's interesting, if you are a stubborn person, we're a stubborn person, past, present tense, not sure about that. Or if you have one of those, it's, it, it's interesting that there's, in the thinking of a, of a stubborn person, it almost doesn't compute that you might not be right. Like information comes along that says, no, actually, that's, that's not a good idea. And you're like, doesn't make sense to me. Um, and I have had a number of particularly stubborn children, which is what I like to think of as parental karma. It just comes back to you. And there is actually a genetic component to stubbornness. So if you're sitting here, if you're here today or you're online and you've got a stubborn kid in your family, it's either you or it's your partner. Oh, it's probably you, if you're pointing at the other one. <laughs> or in the case of me and my husband, it's actually both of us. So, oh, what's going to happen? Um, but it's been a great growth point for me out of that stubbornness. Out, I'm not out. I'm on my way in the direction of out. And um, this year for us as a family has been a really interesting environment. So I started working full-time in March and my husband had been working part-time as a physiotherapist and part-time as a pastor. And so he dropped the physiotherapy role, just kept the part-time pastoring hours and took up lots of the, the primary caregiver role, is what we call it. So he would do the grocery shopping and the taking the kids' places and all of that kind of thing. And there was quite a process of um, us getting used to the idea that he does things differently to me. And I'm going to be honest, it has taken me several months to identify things that he does differently that are actually better. Uh, not because I'm excellent at being the primary caregiver, although I had a lot of practice, uh, but just because I was so stuck in my like, my way is better. And so it was hilarious. He would do the grocery shopping and the kids would be like, Dad, we don't eat that bread. We eat soy and linseed. And he'd be like, oh, I thought we should try some sourdough. He's like, no, we just want soy and linseed. And so we're like, okay, we'll do that. But now they're like, oh, I actually quite like the way Dad does that. Especially because Dad buys treats more often when he goes to the supermarket. I know it's often the, the Dad way of, of doing it. And um, so we've definitely been through this process of like, okay, so Dave can do things his way. 
and his way is different and his way is okay and sometimes his way is better. That's been a bit of a process for me. What about you? What about like actually you? Don't just think about the person next to you who you're like, well, you need to hear this message, man. What about you? Do you get a little bit stuck like that? That your way is the best way? It's really interesting, I think, um, our culture tells us very much that freedom, true freedom, is getting to do what you want. Yeah? That's like the messaging that you're getting, like, you know, politically, that's the messaging that's coming across in movies and all the media you're consuming, is that to be free is to do it your way. Yeah? And as you grow up, you get to do things more your way. So when you're tiny, you don't really get any say over anything. My four-year-old, Ida, consistently says to us, you're not the boss of me. I'm like, well, actually, we are. Um, well, sometimes she'll say, you're not the boss of me, Dad. Jesus is the boss of me. And then he's like, and Jesus would tell you to obey your parents. <laughs> she doesn't have a response to that one. But there is that sense as you grow up from a little person into a bigger person that you grow into your own sense of self. You grow into your autonomy is what we call the the fancy word for it, which just means you get to rule yourself. And that is a healthy part of development, that you would get to make more decisions about what happens to your body and, you know, how you spend your time and the way you do certain things and what clothes you want to wear and all of that kind of stuff. It's part of healthy growth. But in our culture, we do push it too far. There's also a sense that as you go on and you mature as an adult, Not only do you get to assert your autonomy, you get to assert your authority. So think about when you start um, working in a job. You start, often you just come in at the bottom and you just do what you're told. And as you go up the ladder, you get to have some input and eventually you might get to the top when you get to tell other people what to do. And that's how we think success is. You know, if you're progressing in your career, you get to tell people what to do. And that's that's winning. That's winning at life. And there's this tied up with this idea that um, a higher status person gets to tell a lower status person what to do. And so if, if you are, if you're um, saying to someone, okay, you can tell me what to do, you are positioning yourself in a, in a lower role, a lower status. And if you're telling someone what to do, you should do it my way, do it this way, you're in a higher status over them. That's if you say that's kind of what our culture teaches, this is the world we live in, yeah? Is that, does that sound like Jesus? Does that sound like what it, to be a Christian? Not at all. Not at all. Um, it's, you know, as a Christian, we want to acknowledge, first of all, that we're not the boss of us. Uh, God is the boss of us. You might be familiar with Isaiah 55. Um, God is saying to the people, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. His, His thoughts are different to our thoughts. But more than that, his thoughts are better. His ways are better. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. His, his thoughts aren't just, his ways aren't just different to your ways. They're better than your ways, and they are so much better. It's like the distance between the earth and the sky, which is kind of like immeasurable. And there is um, what I like to think of as like base-level humility as a Christian, is that we would say, I'm going to let God do things his way. 
And we can, we can sit with that. Go, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm cool with that. Until you get tested a little bit on that. I remember 10 years ago when we, we were in um, Dunedin and we were invited to take on the church in Timaru. And so we had to sell our house in Dunedin, find a place in Timaru. And my husband and I went and looked at houses and we found this one in Timaru that I fell in love with. It was the one. I knew it. But the timing was all wrong. And we didn't get the house, and I was so annoyed. I was angry at God. I think I actually literally shook my fist at the heavens, like adult tantrum kind of material. Why did you not save that house for me, God? Don't you want me to have good things? Like, I'm, I'm sure you're not the only person who talks like to God, like this to God privately sometimes. But then we got to Timaru, and we ended, so we got a different house, which was great, and it turned out as I grew into my life in Timaru, that there were things about the house I had actually got that were a lot better than the house I had wanted. And I used to drive past this other house every day on the way to preschool drop-off, and I would look at it and be like, oh, thank you, God, that you didn't give me what I wanted. Sorry about that tantrum. Yeah, okay. It was like a constant reminder that, I don't actually always know what is best for me. Actually, getting your own way is often not what is best for you. There's such a temptation, such a temptation. And we're in the same place again now. We're looking at another transition and selling our house and looking at another house. It's really easy to be like, okay, God, I know what your goal is. Your goal is to get me to this new location where this is the next step for us as a a family and now I'm going to make a plan for how that's going to work out. This is, this is very much how I operate, make a plan. I'm going to make a plan about how to get us there. And God's like, mm, no, you could try that, but maybe you should let me have my way. And so I'm really being like reminding myself of that past experience I've had. As we've had houses that we've looked at in Christ, and be like, this is the one. Oh, timing wasn't right. It's gone. Being that, that, that reassurance that God does know what he's doing. He does know what he's doing. And I need to get more used to the idea that I don't have to have things done my way. So that's pretty, like, that's not very surprising, is it? That God's way are higher than your ways. And that's, well, we can accept that. But next level humility is that I can let other people do things their way. And I'm going to be honest, this realm is a whole lot harder if I read Philippians 2, I'll, I'll read the whole passage, um, verses two, 1 to 11 for you. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. I always think in this, this passage, it's got a little bit of that vibe that I have with my kids sometimes. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship? Come on, guys. Work together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. 
Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Oh, I love that last bit. Love that last bit. But um, this bit here, don't, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. This is challenging stuff. And it is, it's very challenging for us, I think, in our modern culture because we are so selfish, I want to say like individualistic, but let's call it what it is. We're just selfish. And we are raised to believe that that is how we should live our lives. Um, And it's incredible. This is not just a message that Paul brings out in Philippians. It's again and again throughout the epistles. Colossians 3, Ephesians 4. um, What do we got here? 1 Corinthians 10. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do everything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. That's very much like that first half. I have the right to do anything. That would be the the cry, I think, of our culture at the moment. I have the right to do anything. But come on, guys, not everything is beneficial. Not everything is constructive. You need to be seeking not just your good, but the good of others. Now, I do, I do really want to acknowledge that, you know, what I'm talking about here is mutual submission. And submission is kind of like a dirty word in the church. And it is for some very good reasons because it has really been misused. So many times people have taken some scriptures and t- tried to say out of it, you should submit to me. And you might have had some experiences in your life um, whether that's while you've been following God or you've observed that for other people, where, where people have been abused, spiritually abused, or even physically or emotionally abused with a sense of submission. And so I, I'm aware that in a, in a group of people like of this size, that there, there should be a number of people who've really been hurt. Not should because, well, I hope you've been hurt, but there should because people who have been hurt should be at home here. They should be welcome here. And so when you hear us talking about um, submission, it's, it can be quite triggering. I often think of it that it's kind of like a bruise. You know, if you've been hurt somewhere, you've got a been hurt on your arm, you've got a big bruise, someone just has to brush against it and it's sore. And so you have this sometimes this response. Um, one of my daughters uh, hurt her chin quite badly when she was two. It was, gro- it was gross. There was surgery and pretty good scar now, but... Every time that she hurts herself on her chin now, she has this massive emotional reaction out of her past hurt. She hurt herself on her chin just a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, whoa, tone it down. I was glad that we were in the open air because it was the wailing was so loud. And so just be aware that when you go, if I'm talking about this and you're like, oh, all of this stuff is coming up, that could be a sign that there's some things where you've been hurt. And, and I'm not going to be able to solve that for you this morning. That's something you need to walk out with people who are trusted in your world. 
opening yourself to the spirit and um, and walking that out over time. So I'd invite you to take up a conversation with you know whoever is appropriate in your world, if that's your pastor or a close friend, to be like, I'm finding this really difficult, and I think it might be because of that way things were in my family when I grew up or that church that I used to be in or that experience that my friend had. But what is really, really important is that we found our idea of submission on this verse here. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. It's a back and forth. It's a mutual thing. And this this verse here in Ephesians 5, it comes at the beginning of that really tricky bit about husbands and wives. And we do, uh, again, this that's been misused quite badly. But actually, when I read this, with having the, taking this verse here, which is like the foundation, and using that as the lens to read the other stuff, how I see it is, hey, everyone, husbands and wives, you should submit to each other. Husbands, you need to love your wives, like Christ loved the church, laying yourself down for her, all of this. And wives, just like I said before, you need to submit to your husbands. I, I'm going to be honest, I quite prefer, it's a good day to be a lady, because there's none of that, like we are also supposed to love sacrificially and all of that kind of thing. But he's kind of just saying again, like, oh yeah, like I said, you've got to submit. Submit to one another. And throughout all of these scriptures, and this is, I really want you to hear this, all of these scriptures throughout the epistles, throughout the letters that Paul writes to the church, when he is talking about submission, he is never saying, leader, get people to submit to you. Or, hey, you should find a way to get other people to submit to you. He is always saying to, to us, you should submit to other people. So, if you're finding yourself saying to other people, hey, you should submit to me. Why are you not submitting to me? Come on, do what I'm saying. I think you need to come and read these scriptures again because the call to you is to submit to others, not to make others submit to you. And we have the church has so often got that wrong because we are just broken. <laughs> We're broken people. And I really, yeah, I really want to encourage you, make sure you get that in your head that the way round it goes, it's, a, it's something that you are invited to do for yourself, not to make another person do. But this is really, this idea is so countercultural. So, so countercultural. Uh, one of my favorite verses is Romans 12, 2. It says, Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says, Don't look to the culture around you to let that set the pattern for how you're going to live your life. You'll need to be transformed in a new into a new person, and that is going to be by changing the way that you think. Okay, But then it goes on to talk about, don't think you're better than you really are. God has made you to belong to each other, to serve each other, genuinely love each other, honour others above yourself. And that is the big countercultural push, I think, throughout the ages, but particularly in our, in our age. And I don't know about you, but I'm sometimes left with the thought, might it not then be just better to stay away from other people? Might it not just be a little easier? Yeah? Oh, God, I think so. And that is certainly what modern culture tells us about how we should live our faith. You just keep it private. Keep it individual. Yes, yeah, yeah, you can gather. But, you know, like, just don't push it on anyone. Be very wary if people ask you to commit. The roster, you better stay away from that. 
because they might ask things of you and you should just get it your way. You should just do what you want. There's this uh, temptation to Marie Kondo your life. Now, who's familiar with Marie Kondo? Who's never heard of that and was like, what are you talking about? Okay, so Marie Kondo is a um, Japanese woman who's really good at tidying up, which sounds like not a big deal, but if you have Marie Kondo your wardrobe, it's amazing. She has this approach to uh, stuff that I've been doing a little bit with my kids because we've been moving house and I have four kids and one of them is a hoarder, um, very much so. And so what you do with your, say you're going to, um, Con Marie is what you call it. There's a whole like series on Netflix. If you just, you get into it, there's a manga you can read, it's great. Um, if you wanted to Marie, uh, Con Marie your wardrobe, what you would do is you take all of your clothes, put them out on the floor and then you would pick it up and you would ask yourself, does it spark joy for me? And if it does, you would keep it. I mean, you also ask yourself the questions of like, have I worn this in the last five years? Will I wear this again? Does this actually suit me? But all of that kind of comes under the does it spark joy? And if it does, you keep it. And if it doesn't, you get rid of it somehow. You recycle it, you hand it on, whatever. And this is a, this is a great way to deal with your stuff. I have a saying in my family, you can take this one, use it at home. If in doubt, chuck it out. If in doubt, chuck it out. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about your kids, but oh gosh, the stuff they accumulate is incredible. But there is a temptation to actually con Marie other things in our lives. Okay, so I love my community, but this thing here, this does not spark joy. I love being part of this church, but they want me to serve. Oh, this is not spark joy. Oh, check it out. Oh, even as our reading of scripture, open the Bible. Love the Bible, love the word, that bit here. Don't like this bit. Just cut it out. Chuck it out. Doesn't spark joy for me. It's a very um, individualistic lens that you take to thinking about things, about whether it works for you. And it really erodes community. It, it really does. Um, came across this incredible quote by Ron Rollheiser, who's a Catholic priest and a, a theologian. And he says, what church community takes away from us is our false freedom to soar unencumbered, like the birds, believing that we are mature, loving, committed, and not blowing, blocking out things that we should be seeing. Real church going soon, soon enough shatters this illusion and gives us not escape as we find ourselves constantly humbled as our immaturities and lack of sensitivity to the pain of others are reflected off eyes that are honest and unblinking. It's a false illusion that you are soaring, unencumbered, loving, mature, committed, but free to do what you want. Being really involved in people's lives, especially in a church community where you serve one another, it makes you realize that you're not. You're really not. There's this um, incredible sense of being able to sharpen each other. And, and church community is is, I think, such a testimony, a witness to our world which has this all the wrong way. You're probably wondering what my buckets are here for. Oh. So I've got three buckets. Two on the side here. There are three things, or three kind of categories of things that people really need kind of fundamental needs you have in our lives. One of them is autonomy. 
We need to be able to have some rule over ourselves. Another one is belonging or community. And the third one is meaning or purpose. And we all need all of these things. And in different times of our lives and in different places in the world and different cultures, there will be an emphasis more on one than on the other. If you live in Gloria Vale, for example, belonging and commuting, community is a very high value. Autonomy, not so much. The problem, or just the, the nature of things, the way it is, is that you can't have all three buckets of these full at one time. To fill one up, you do need to take some out of the others. And in the, the world that we are living in has overvalued autonomy. So autonomy just means you get to rule yourself. It means that you get to make choices. And we live in a world where we are overwhelmed by choices. Have you tried to buy jam recently? Like, honestly, you're at the supermarket and there are so many types of jam. Like, it's... I, Recently, I was standing there. I haven't done the grocery shopping for a while, so I was obviously not out of practice. But I was like, well, I don't know. There's too many options. It's just like the tyranny of too much choice. And it actually becomes a problem. But our autonomy bucket is overflowing to the detriment of belonging and community and meaning and purpose. Because if you want to be part of belonging and community, you've got to give up some of this. If you want to find meaning and purpose, you've got to give up some of this. If you want to say, yeah, I want to be, I want to be part of a tight-knit group of friends that support each other, that when we're in need, you know, we're there for each other, we encourage each other. That sounds great, doesn't it? Who doesn't want to be part of that? But rubber hits the road when one of your friends needs you to help out, help them shift house or look after one of their kids, and you're actually feeling like doing something else. You've got to give, make a sacrifice from your autonomy bucket to fill up your belonging community. Or if you want meaning and purpose, you know, you're like, I just really got a vision to input in the young people of my area. I want to be, you know, part of this youth thing they're doing. Oh, it's great. It's a, it's a significant thing. I became a Christian as part of my church's youth ministry. And I know many, many people have got that same story. You want to have that meaning and purpose? You've got to give up some autonomy. Because when it comes to a Friday night, you don't really feel like doing that. I know I said I would. I know I said I cared about the youth of my community, but right now, actually, my mates invited me out for a drink, and I'd rather do that. that you've got to give that one up. And I, I don't want to say that autonomy is not important, because people who are living in abusive relationships who don't have enough autonomy, they need more autonomy. People living in North Korea right now, no autonomy. They need more of that. But we, most of us living here right now, we've got so much. It's overflowing and spilling everywhere. everywhere. But these ones over here, they're just so empty. And we wonder why people are just rife with anxiety and insecurity and depression. It's because autonomy actually doesn't make you feel good all the time. We've been sold a lie. And what I think is, is fascinating that we're really observing in this cultural moment is that our Culture, um, media, the political messaging has all been about autonomy. You should get to do what you want to do with your body and don't let anyone tell you what to do. If you think back at some of the quite progressive um, legislation that's been brought out over a number of years, it's all about autonomy. No one should be, even if someone, if you want to actually have a conversation with them about how you feel about your sexuality, don't have a talk to them because I want to change your mind. It's all about your autonomy all about autonomy. 
And now, and now the government is saying, actually, we want you to do this thing with your body and get vaccinated. And we're all like, what? What? How can you tell me what to do? And like, whatever side of that kind of debate you're on, the one, part of the big problem that we're having is a reaction to the fact that we've been oversold autonomy to the, to the neglect of belonging, community, and freedom, and um, purpose and meaning. And there is, I think, in this time we're in, an importance, an impetus for us to say, yeah, okay, maybe I don't want to do that. You might have valid reasons for mistrusting government institutions or the health system, you know, people's experiences. Like, trust, once it's lost, is a hard thing to re-earn, especially by an institution. You might have valid reasons, but your autonomy is not really a very good reason. What was it that Christ did? He gave it all up and went to the cross. That is like, and, and people, and you don't want to get vaccinated, but he went to the cross. Like, I know, pull my mallet out here, but I, I, there's no Christian justification for saying, I don't want you to do that to my body. When it's like, like within reasons, red flags, you know, like, let's not be silly about it. And that's where you might go, hang on, this is a massive red flag for me because of lots of other reasons. And then have a conversation about it. But an argument that says, I don't, I don't want to do that. Because it's my opinion. I get to say, well, that's nice if you think that. Isn't it lovely that we've been raised? Isn't it actually? It's lovely that we have been raised in a culture that lets us have that freedom. I've got a friend um, who's Singaporean, and she finds it hilarious that we all think we might get to have a say in things like this. Because in Singapore, it's just like, what? getting you know, vaccinated for da-da-da, you want this, you just do it, you do it. There's no chance to question. But we all think we can question, and that's great. That is really, really good in lots and lots of ways. But we have been oversold it, and that I think is where part of the tension. Part of the tension is because we do need to sacrifice for the good of our community. True community requires humility it requires mutual submission. And, and just getting to do what you want all the time is not freedom. Getting to follow your own opinions and the urges of your flesh, that is not freedom. You know, if I was just doing what I felt like doing all the time, my life would be a mess. Like, my life is not particularly well put together. But the more that I let God tell me what to do, and the more that I lean into Christian community, the better things go for me. Honestly, that's how it works. But this is super hard work. I'll be honest, this is not easy stuff. It's, a, it's work that we need to do as a community. It's work we need to do uh, individually. And it's a process of time. And I don't know if you've observed the, uh, the pattern that often happens of construction, deconstruction, and then reconstruction. And the, and the metaphor there is that you're building a house. And so when you think, when you're a young person, you're raised up in your family and you, you form a picture of the world, of how things work according to the inputs that you get. This is how things are. This is how we do things in our home, that kind of thing. And then you leave home and you start being like, hmm, I don't know if I agree with all of that. I might things do things differently. And you start deconstructing your ideas about the world and you know how families should work or the way that you do the chores and all of that kind of stuff. You start deconstructing. This is all good and healthy. But the problem is often we get stuck 
in deconstruction and Western society as a whole is stuck in deconstructing. We just want to deconstruct, deconstruct everything. Even our burgers are deconstructed. Like, well, actually, you need to take the next step, which is to reconstruct it. I'm going to build something back together. I'm going to put it into a new shape, which is formed by more kind of, uh, hopefully, by more godly inputs. And that's a healthy process we need to go on. I've been learning a little bit about how that process maps onto uh, three phases that you could think about um, philosophically. The first one is the pre-critical phase. The second one is the critical phase. Mm, These things I don't like. And then there's the post-critical phase. And a helpful way to understand this is by thinking about a romantic relationship. So when I first fell in love with my husband, he walked into the back conference room and I thought, I want to marry you. That's actually how it went. It took him a while to kind of come around to the idea. But, you know, the beginning of a romantic relationship, when you're in the infatuation stage, everything about him is great. Oh, I just love all the things he does. All his ways delight me. But infatuation does not last. Can I get an amen? It does not last, does it? And then you enter the critical phrase. You're like, he farts sometimes. And there's some things that he does that I actually really don't like. But then you move into the post-critical phrase, go, oh, yeah, yeah, those are those are things, but that's fine. Not such an issue. And that's pretty, like, that's the normal pattern of relationships. But often we get to critical and we get, hmm. So we start, we want to con Marie our, um, our relationships. Go, oh, look at it. Does this spark joy for me? Well, it doesn't actually anymore. Chuck it out. And that is so much of how we think about our world. I don't like what that person said. Hmm, cut, cancel. Completely, you're not going to listen to it. And we can get that in church sometimes. The pre-critical phase, you come to a church, you're like, I love this church. I love everything they do. The way my worship makes me feel. All the things. And then you like come back two more times and you move to the next phase. The critical phase, oh, actually, I don't quite like the way they do this. Oh, I don't like the way they oh, I don't like that song. And you can easily go, oh, it's not sparking joy anymore. Better go look somewhere else. But the post-critical phase that we move to is going, yeah, maybe I don't like those things, but this is the thing that I have chosen. This is the place. You know, I think of my husband. There's heaps of things he did that drive me up the wall, but he is the one I have chosen. And I'm not, I mean, let's be honest, I'm not going to find anyone else who's going to be perfect. So he, he is the thing I have chosen. And that is something you need to do as a community, is get past the fact of, well, I don't really like that thing. So So what? So what? If this is the thing that you have chosen, if these are the people that you have chosen, you can choose to let those things, yeah, don't bother you so much. And that is the process towards maturity. But the really cool thing is that this post-critical stage is what they call a second naivety. So a childlikeness, which isn't about being gullible or misinformed or immature, it's actually humility, a second naivety. Well, you're like, oh, I don't really mind anymore. And that sounds an awful lot to me about the idea of having a childlike faith. A childlike faith that we're called to. But it's not gullible. It's not gullible. So we need to develop other humility towards others. We really do. And as we do that, as you develop humility kind of horizontally, it really helps you develop humility towards God. I have not come across a single person who is... Oh, so humble before the Lord. Just have all your, all your ways, Lord, who cannot submit to other people. It, it doesn't exist. I'm sorry. 
So if you if you're wanting to cultivate humility before God, you can actively train yourself in that by choosing to humble yourself before other people. There will be a flow-on effect. You can choose to do what we call, what I like to think of as little acts of rebellion against the sinful nature. And that's things like, well, I wanted to watch that movie, but you want to watch this movie? Well, we'll have it your way. I'm just going to give way. And the traffic. Just don't do it for too long. People behind you get annoyed. <laughs> little things that you can do. And it's really important. It's really important because I don't know about you. I can be a bit of a jerk sometimes. Don't, 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 yep, that one. For yourself, you sir. It's not in my head. <laughs> I like um, 1 Peter 5. He talks about, he's been talking about, you know, older do this, younger in this, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Who wants to be opposed by God? Nobody. So be humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. What I want to bring out here, verse 6, humble yourselves. It's an active thing that you choose to do. I choose to humble myself. It's not a passive thing where someone is forcing you to humble yourself or to submit to them. You are choosing to do it. So it's not someone forcing it upon you. It's not about power differentials here. When it talks, um, verse 5, all of you clothe yourselves. The the original word has kind of get the idea of like you've got to bind it on yourself. I think about my apron. I quite like baking, quite like eating as well. I don't wake up in the morning with my apron on because that would be super weird if you slept in it. And I don't think to myself, oh, I'm just going to wait for apronly feelings to come forth and then I will do something that will serve my family. And let's be honest, I'm not just serving my family when I bake. I'm also like, serving my own belly. I don't just wait. I don't wait. Oh, and the apron will appear. I choose to put it on. I choose to clothe myself with humility. You don't wait for the humble feelings to just stir up and overflow. You can choose to actively put them on. And as you choose, as you train yourself, you discipline yourself to do that more and more, you will find that a humble heart flows in your relations with others and then a humble heart flows in your relationship with God. And what does God do to the humble? He shows them favor. Doesn't that sound amazing? Why is this so difficult? (laughs) Ah. I don't know about you, but it is really difficult. But it's the getting in community together that helps us to grow. I was talking with um, an older woman once who was recounting to me her time at um, a residential Bible college. And she said, oh, it was good sandpaper. And she told me about the experience she had there where some of the people were just actually really annoying. But she said, oh, it was good sandpaper. With the, with the perspective of time, she could talk, you know, that Proverbs 27, um, 17, iron sharpens iron. It's iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And again, it's, it's a mutual thing. It's a two-way thing. So it's not the person in power wears down the other, a subordinate person and forces their will upon them. It's a mutual going both ways. And it's in the process of being in the life of a community like this, saying, yeah, I do want to serve. I do want to get up early and be on the roster. I want to help in kids. I want to, you know, whatever ministry there is. And, and submitting your autonomy, that you grow, that you do grow. But of course, I don't know if you can come on the keys. Is that a thing you do? Um, it's important to just keep your mind thinking about the red flags that can come out 
in relationship. Like I said, if people are telling you that you need to submit to them, there's a little bit of a red flag. I'm not talking about situations of abuse. You know, like scriptures like this have been used to justify women having to stay in, in relationships of domestic abuse. That is a complete misuse of the scripture. And if you're experiencing any of those red flags in your life, I'd really invite you, find a safe person that you can talk to about. But there is more than that kind of big question, is this safe? I reckon there's also a deeper psychological question, is, is this safe? Does it feel safe? Especially in, in a world where we have been told that autonomy, we've got to protect this. It is dangerous to tell people to let you what to do, to, to let people tell you what to do. There can be a sense of, I'm actually worried, God, that if I don't put myself first, well, who will? And I don't know, God, if I can trust you to go after me. And this, this is a risky business. This is a risky business. You think about Christ humbled himself. How did that end? Didn't quite end on the cross, but it did send him to the cross. And there is, we are called to take up our cross like him. And so, yeah, there is a sense that this might be a little risky. But ultimately, in terms of like your identity of who you are in God, you are safe. And I'd like to take a moment to to minister to some hearts and into your community. So I don't know if it's in your practice, but it is in mine. So why don't you stand to your feet if you're able to? And um, perhaps you want to, you know, adopt a posture before God that reflects an open heart. And we're going to pray together. Father God, we come before you. Oh God, and we repent of the ways that we have let ourselves be conformed to the pattern of this world that tells us that we should have it our way. That we need to protect our autonomy and just make it happen for ourselves. Lord, we're sorry. Oh, by your spirit, God, transform us into a new person by changing the way we think. But God, we need your help. This is crazy hard. Lord, we look to your spirit. But Father, I pray for those of us who really, there is a sense of vulnerability in our hearts where we think, well, if I don't put myself first, who is going to? Will I not be then left exposed to the depths of me and and maybe feeling unwanted and unloved and just trodden upon? God, for those hearts right now, Lord, we open them before you. We expose them before you, before your love and grace. And Father, I ask that you would speak your words of love. God, that we are found in your grace. We are found in your love, Lord, that who we are is hidden in you, God. And that in Christ, Lord, we are fully accepted. We are fully loved. That, Lord, all of our deepest needs are met in you. Lord, and if all others would forsake us, God, your love would hold us still and that would be enough. Oh, God, lead us into greater trust in you. Lord, into greater trust in your love for us. Father, we can risk it all on you and we will find that you are faithful. Oh, Father, we need your spirit to work in us. Lord, I pray for those who are are in that place, Lord, of that, that fear, God, that your love would come and drive out all fear. 
And Father, I pray for this church community. Lord, I thank you for the presence that they have in this space, Lord, in their, in their region. And God, I ask that you would lead them into a season of incredible unity that commands a blessing upon them. Father, that that people would increasingly, Lord, as individuals and as families, find themselves able to submit to community for the purpose that you want to outwork here. Lord, that we would see rightly, we would see how important community is, how important purpose is. Lord, we wouldn't overvalue our autonomy. God, I particularly pray over this um, season of fasting and together, together to come, that that it would be characterised by mutual submission, that you would help, Lord, this church to submit even their physical needs for food or whatever it is that people are fasting. Lord, as they submit that, God, that they would find themselves in incredible unity. And Lord, humility that you would pour your favour out upon. Father, just to speak your blessing, Lord, over this church. Father, over all that you have done in them. Lord, what you're doing right now and what you're going to do. I declare the favour of God over them. Lord, your purpose and your love. In Jesus' name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. Amen. I hand back over to Dre. Or...